Thank you for coming to the noon service. We appreciate it. Um, I'm going to give an announcement. I'm going to say some things that I never thought I would have to say. And I know it's none of you, and I know that I'll never have to say it again. But um, do you guys, do you like the coffee that we serve here? Yes. Amen. Okay. Okay, good. And I listen, we understand, we understand it can be frustrating at times. Um, listen, they serve over 350 specialty drinks every single week. And, and that's like in like three and a half, four hours. You know that no coffee shop does that. And the quality is amazing. And every single one of those people out there are volunteers. Isn't that amazing? Let's give them a hand, shall we? <clears throat> last few months, some people have gotten a little frustrated because maybe the coffee hasn't been exactly what they wanted or they couldn't order exactly what they wanted or wasn't in the timely fashion that they hoped that it would be. And I understand being frustrated. I certainly do. Um, two things. Number one, it's free. <laughs> Number two, they're all volunteers, right? It takes, it takes almost 100 volunteers every single Sabbath to make church happen the way that it happens. And so I know that when you, when you get served, when you order, that your job, and you believe in this as you love well, is to treat them with the utmost respect and kindness. Amen? Amen. Again, it's not any of you. But when we do have to shut down the coffee shop, we do have to shut down the coffee shop so they can clean it and they don't have to stay here until two in the afternoon so they can clean it and it can be ready for next week. So I just want to say thank you for the wonderful way that you treat all our volunteers here at Crosswalk, even when you've stood in line for quite a while because it's so popular. It's the price of being popular. All right, I think we understand what I'm saying. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate that. We are in week six of our Christophany series. And, um, and this, I don't know, I've really enjoyed this series so far going into the Old Testament. And we've got a great text that we're going to talk about this week. And in fact, this text this week speaks of preparation for Christophany. Because we haven't talked about that a great deal. Because it's great to be prepared for something. Have you ever gotten a job that you're not prepared for? It's the worst, isn't it? When I was 15, I got my second job. That's right, I've been working since I was very young. When I was seven years old, my mom started a business, and she, she's a court reporter. She started a business, and she put the copy machine in my room. So from seven years old, I've had a job. And my job was to make copies, and they paid me a penny a page, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. <laughs> and they owe me a lot of back pay. I'm just saying Right? But when I was 15, I wanted to work outside the house. So I was going to go to La Sierra Academy, and the only job I could get at 15 there was working maintenance. So I was working facilities, maintenance. And I get there, and the guy goes, what can you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm 15. I can make copies, which is probably not going to help you right now. And he said, do you like to break stuff? <laughs> yes. 
I'm 15 years old. And he said, okay, he gave me and this other 15-year-old, he gave us sledgehammers and he said, We're, we've, got, we've got all these rooms on this side kind of thing, side wing from the gym and we're going to make it into a weight room. We want it to be really cool. So we want you to break out these walls, break out everything that's in here, just tear it up and break out those bathrooms, destroy those, and then we're going to build this thing. And we were like, great. And he said, I think it's going to take you about three weeks. And we're like, that's great. So my first job experience was demo and just taking a, a, a sledgehammer and breaking stuff. It was so much fun. But we didn't know what we were doing. So when we got to the bathrooms... There's a whole process of deconstruction that we weren't clear on. So we just took the sledgehammers and began to break everything. I don't know if you know this, but when you break pipes open, water just goes everywhere. So the day we did it, we're just breaking stuff and like we break the toilet and it's like, ah, oh, that's kind of funny. And then we break the stuff out of the walls, the pipes coming out of the walls and we break the faucets and the pipes coming out of the walls. Pretty soon water's just going everywhere and we can't find our supervisor anywhere. And we were not gonna go tell the principal this was happening by any means. We hadn't even started school there. So we just closed the doors and sat there waiting for like four hours. So at this point, it's basically like the new swimming pool for the school. And it's in the midst of this junk. It was a mess. And when our supervisor got there, he's like, are you guys idiots? <laughs> well, we didn't give us this job. <laughs> anyway, it's bad, to be, it's bad to get a job that you're not prepared for. It's really hard. It's bad to, to experience anything that you're not really prepared for. So the question we have to ask is, how do you prepare for a Christophany, right? How do you prepare for God to break through? How do you prepare for God to come in and all of a sudden, like, express himself, manifest himself in your life? I think there's a few ways to do it because we're talking about spiritual preparation here. I think the first way that we do it is that we put ourselves on the road. What I mean by that is in his book, The Celebration of Disciplines, Richard Foster talks about the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, um, meditation, service, study, things like this. There's a lot more. And he says these things don't necessarily make you spiritual, but what they do is they put you on the road to spirituality and give you a practice that helps you, um, helps you practice the presence of God in some respects. And so what he says is that you need to put yourself on the road. We've got to put ourselves on the road for a spiritual awakening, for a spiritual breakthrough, for Christ to come into our lives. We've got to put ourselves on the road. And then we also, as we're doing that, we have to get used to hearing God's revelation. Now, you may be a person who's like, listen, God doesn't talk to me. I've, I've been in this game for a long time. I don't hear God's voice. But we have a really convenient revelation of God that is accessible every single day, every single moment. It's called Scripture. All you got to do is open scripture and begin to hear how God has broken through in other people's lives. And you begin to get comfortable with that voice. You begin to get comfortable with that experience. So, so yes, you got to get used to hearing God's revelation. But that means that you've got to spend time preparing to hear God's revelation, to hear, to getting used to his voice. Time is a gift, right? And time is something that matters when it comes to understanding the voice of God. I've said it a bunch of times in this church. Intimacy cannot be microwaved. You need time to hear the voice of God. And when you have that time, you begin, begin to be comfortable with it. But that time needs to be focused, right? We, we, are, we think we're all multitaskers. We try and do many, many things at one time. But when it comes to hearing the voice of God, when it comes to be preparing yourself for a Christophany, you need to be focused that means not doing anything else but putting priority. If love is paying attention, 
then we who say we love God should be paying great focus and attention to God. But I also think that we have to come to this with expectation and all. We have to come to this understanding that God will show up. God will break through. You will have a Christophany in your life. And when that happens, it's, it's a mystery. It's amazing. Right? When you see in Scripture, every time God breaks through, and really every time in Jesus' life when he speaks, people are amazed. People are, are mystified. They're almost angry. In fact, they do get angry at times because when God speaks, it is amazing. So we have to come with that expectation that God is going to speak and that we might not 100% understand it, but recognize it and see that manifestation of God. But maybe the best question is, how do you know when you're ready for a Christophany, right? Um, and this is kind of like asking the question, when are you ready to have kids? Do you remember that, if you have kids? If you get, we got married, and we, about five years in, you know the conversation begins to change with your family. They're like, you going to have kids? Are you trying? They're like, this is not your business. Because you know that question is weird, right? By the way, if you're just married, you don't need to tell people that you're trying to have kids. You're just telling them what you're doing in your bedtime. We don't want to know. We just want to know when you have kids. That's it, right? But about five years in, people start asking those questions, and they get a little invasive. We waited seven years to have our first child. And, and the whole time, even at seven years, we did not feel like we were ready to have kids. But then kids show up, and you're somehow ready. You know, par partly because you've prepared. You haven't planned, but you've prepared. So you've created the culture where a kid can come in and it's going to be okay. Our text today is about preparation. So we're going to journey to the land of milk and honey, if you will. We're going to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Now, it's interesting because when we think about Joshua, the first thing we think about is the battle of Jericho, right? Of course, that's the, that's the best story in the book. Um, we do think a little bit about them crossing the Jordan and God opening the Jordan so they can cross through. That's already happened by the time we jump into the text. But this is like a movie that takes a long time with character development. Right? We like action movies, and if you watch like a Michael Bay movie, you know action happens the moment the credits begin at the beginning. There's some car chase somewhere and something's blowing up. We love those movies, and we have sometimes have a hard time with a movie that takes a while to build the characters. Well, Joshua takes a while to build that character. Joshua is actually the first five books of Joshua are really the preparation for the children of Israel to move towards Jericho. And so we jump in at this point. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, well, they lost heart. And they were paralyzed with fear because of this. Like, the first thing we need to note from this text is that God's reputation goes before we ever get anywhere, right? God's reputation was already in Moab, was already in Canaan. And they weren't so nervous about the Israelites because they were a bloodthirsty group of people, although it kind of shows up a little bit later that they feel like that. They were really worried that their God was going before them and clearing a path for them to come into this land. God's reputation always goes before. And that's important because we don't want our reputation getting there first. 
As much as I love Crosswalk Church, there are people who've come to church and haven't had a good experience. There's people who don't like me speaking, just don't like to look at me. They're like, nah, I don't want to listen to that guy. He looks weird and I'm not interested. Right? I don't want my reputation to go out into the world. I want God's reputation to go out into the world. And I want Crosswalk to be a place that, you know, helps, helps grow that reputation, but not for Crosswalk, for the kingdom of God. I think it's really important. And the problem is, and I think, the, I think there's a problem with Christians right now, is that they really, like, they want you to know that they are Christians. I'm not so interested in you knowing I'm a Christian. I want you to know Christ. Amen. Which means I got to decrease and he's got to increase. Amen? Because that's what Scripture says anyway. John tells us. It's not about me. It's about him. So it needs to be about him. And God's reputation is going to get there first anyway. So let's make sure it does. Um, at that time, the Lord tells Joshua. Now, we've got some of this Lord speaking kind of situation, but this is not the Christophany. We'll get to that. But there, apparently there's some direction happening. It says, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. There's only one other time in Scripture that we talk about flint knives in particular. And that is when Moses' wife circumcised his son. It's the only other time they use this particular language. The reason for this, I believe, is that they wanted us to understand that the narrative of God and his people is consistent throughout all of Israel's history, right? So the same thing, make flint knives, circumcise the second generation of Israelites. We'll get to that second generation piece in a second. So scripture continues. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haaraloth. You know what Gibeath Haaraloth stands for? You know what the name of this, this hill is? The Hill of Foreskins. If you don't know what that is, ask your parents later. Later. Don't ask them during church. What a horrible name for a piece of geography. The Hill of... Oh, I don't need to say it too often times. Um, this text, it sounds like a, kind of the opposite of what just happened. God gives the command and Joshua does it. That's exactly what happened. The language is, okay, Joshua did exactly what he said. And, and so you know, Israel was not the only nation to have circumcision. The book of Jeremiah speaks of Egypt. It speaks of Edom. It speaks of Ammon. It speaks of Moab and other nations that also practice circumcision. We've made a big deal of it in the Old Testament, certainly from the story of Abraham, of course, for Israel, but they were not the only ones. However, for Israel, it had a particular significance, right? Again, going back to that Abraham narrative, which is you will be a great nation and you will receive the land that God had given you before you'll get it back, right? So now we get a long explanation of why he had to do this. So bear with me. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Why? Because they had been stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. By the way, have you done the geography? The Sinai Peninsula is not that big. How is it in 40 years you never got to the other side of it? Right? That's some very poor wayfinding. Right? They should not have listened to that dude. The guy who was like, I think is left here. Except you know who they were following, right? Pillar of smoke, pillar of fire. So they were following God. God confounded them and kept them in the Sinai Peninsula for that long. Right? Those who left Egypt, going on to the next text, those who left Egypt had all been circumcised. But none of those born after the Exodus, during the years in the wilderness, had been circumcised. Now, you're hearing something. This time in the wilderness, right? This was a particular phase in the history 
of the children of Israel, this wilderness time, these wilderness moments. So keep that in mind. It continues on with an explanation. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until the men were old enough to fight in battle when they had left Egypt and died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them into the land he had sworn to give us. A land flowing with, as you know, milk and honey. By the way, the idea of milk, there's not milk and honey flowing everywhere. That would be sticky. Right? It is a metaphor for abundance in the land. Right? There's so much abundance. In, there's so much cattle. There's just milk everywhere. There's so much crops. There's so, there's so many things that honey is just flowing everywhere. That, that's, it's kind of like streets of gold. Very poor building material gold is. Right? But we understand it to be a metaphor for the opulence of heaven. That's what we understand it for. In the same way, milk and honey is a metaphor for the abundance of this new land. So Joshua, and I, again, this is a long explanation. God, Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way in the wilderness to the promised land. Clarity is important. So I, I appreciate this long explanation. God did not think those previous rebellious men could be used. But this new generation, this new generation can be used. But they have to be made holy. And they have to make sure that they're following God's command. So what does this say about those who God can use? God can use those who are not rebellious against his word, but are willing to take on a circumcision of the heart, as Paul says in Romans 2.29. Those are the people that God can use. So obviously, in today's world, we're not talking about physical circumcision in the same way, but we are talking about the spiritual circumcision, which is the circumcision of the heart that Paul speaks of when we come to the idea of whether or not we are following and obeying and submitting ourselves to God. Right? God can use those who are not rebellious and he can circumcise our hearts. After all the males, going back to the text, after all the males have been circumcised, they rested in camp until they were healed. That seems obvious. You're not going to go run a marathon. You're not going to jump into battle when you just had a surgical procedure there <clears throat> in particular, right? So, so they needed some time, though, to heal and probably some time to reflect. So let me ask you this question. What would a circumcision of the heart look like for you? What would it include? I think it includes at least three things, probably more. But the first one is a vulnerability, toward God and toward others. In the physical manifestation of this, in a physical circumcision, right, you lay yourself bare, literally. But how do we do that with the circumcision of the heart? We become vulnerable. Vulnerable to God, recognizing who we are in the face of an all-great and good God. But also recognizing who we are in the midst of others and being honest about that and being vulnerable. Confession is a part of this. Repentance. Conversation with your community, and coming to the conclusion that God is for you, God is not against you. And, and, and so you know, there's suffering involved in this as well. And we don't like this, but with confession, with conversation, with vulnerability comes some suffering. It's the suffering that we experience before healing. Sometimes it's, it's not real suffering, right? It's just annoying, like picking at a scab. But other times it's the real pain, the genuine suffering that we feel when we repent. 
even though we know we are forgiven, we still struggle with the pain. And it takes a while to subside. But I believe that that suffering moves us into healing, right? And healing takes time. The Israelites wanted to heal physically, even though this was a spiritual preparation as well. So the time was needed. We need time to learn, to heal, to focus, and to recognize what God is calling us to, what God has already done, and how we can serve Him. Joshua 5, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So thank goodness he changed the name from Hill of Foreskins to Gilgal. Do you know what Gilgal means? It's actually a play on words in the Hebrew. The word for roll away is Gilal. And so they use the term Gilgal to recognize that this is the place where God had rolled away their shame from their previous life. So the question for you today is, what has God rolled away for you? And where is your Gilgal? Has God rolled away the shame of past sins, anger towards other people? Has he given you a path towards forgiveness and hope? Where has God been working to roll away the sins of our fathers and our mothers so that we don't continue that same cycle, especially if we grew up in a home full of abuse? How are we allowing God to roll away the shame and regret from our previous lives? And how is God teaching us how to love one another? Where is your Gilgal? And what is God rolling away? Well, more things happen in this narrative. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, so they're, they're, they're getting close to this action, Right? They celebrated Passover before they went on the evening of the 14th day of the first month, which is when you do Passover. Now, Passover wasn't that far away for them. Passover was 40-something years from its inception when they left Egypt. They were well enough that they needed this event to take place to remind them of where they had come from and to remind them of God's provision. And in those provisions, we see that the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. This is new. Because in the wilderness, they had manna, right? Manna that had been given to them every single day, except Sabbath. But what does it say in Joshua? It says, no manna appeared on that day. They first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. They are moving from a wilderness living to home. And, and we live differently when we live in the wilderness, right? We do things to try and make it home. The first time my wife and I went um, traveling somewhere, we were staying at a place for just like two nights. And we get to a place, we get to this hotel, and she does something I'd never seen before. She unpacked her bag and put her bag, put all the contents in the drawers. I've never seen that before. I've traveled my whole life. I had never seen that before. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I want them to feel kind of like home. I was like, that's amazing. Aren't you just going to have to put it all back in your bag? And she's like, yeah, but you know, it's kind of nice. I'm like, it's not nice. It seems like a lot of extra work. <laughs> to this day, if we're staying at a hotel or we're staying at an Airbnb and we're staying longer than a night, she's going to unpack her whole bag and like literally like put the bag away. I still just live out of my bag. Just a big mass pile because I'm in the wilderness. I'm traveling. It's not supposed to feel like home. 
which I'm glad she's not here today because she would say, sometimes you leave your stuff out at home too. Are you planning on leaving? <laughs> but we're making that transition from wilderness to home. Right? God showed us, right? The, he had provided for them. He'd given them sustenance and provision. And now they were home. It was an important transition from this wilderness life to a new life God had promised them. So now it gets interesting because now we're about to experience the Christophany. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho. So they're now going to Jericho. They've done this. They've, they've, they've become clean, if you will, by, by investing themselves in the Passover event. They've, they've done the physical manifestation of recognizing the covenant with God, which is what circumcision is, is a sign of the covenant, the promise that God had made to them and that they had made to God as well back from Abraham's time. And now they're going to Jericho. So when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man. That's very particular language, just so you know. He didn't see the man from far off and he walked up to the man. He literally was going about his business. He looks up and he sees this guy who appeared right there. This guy's got a sword in his hand. So Joshua goes up to him and demands, friend or foe, right? So we've got these spiritual preparations, which are of greater concern than the military preparations. You know that when you read the first four chapters of Joshua, you don't get a list of the weapons that they had. You don't get a list of the military exercises that they were in, engaged in, which you think they would do if they're about to take on Jericho. None of that. All you have is spiritual preparation. And you recognize, we begin to recognize that the spiritual preparation is more important than the military preparation. Why? This why. Because there's a guy standing there. Joshua goes up to him and says, hey, friend or foe. And I wonder if we should say that when we see Jesus. Hey, friend or foe. You know, there's a lot of people on this planet that believe God is not for them, but against them. Believes that God is a foe of theirs. And there's a lot of Christians who believe God is their friend, but foes to everyone else. That's why we don't let our reputation go first. That's why we let God's reputation go first, right? That's really important. By the way, when I first started ministry, I had a friend who, when he didn't have a title for a sermon, would give this title. They say, so, Pastor so-and-so, what's your sermon title? And he'd be like, Jesus, friend or foe. Like, it's been in bulletins all over North America. <laughs> he may still do it, I don't know. Jesus answers the way Jesus always answers. When Jesus answers a question, it's always shockingly different than we expect. So he says, hey, are you friend or foe? And Jesus goes, yeah, I'm neither one of those. Man, I'm, not, I'm not playing the same game you're playing. I'm not friend nor foe. What I am is the commander of the Lord's armies. At this, Joshua falls on his face in reverence. And he says what you're supposed to say when Christ breaks through. I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? Here I am, Lord. Tell me what to do. Every time God breaks through, that should be our response. Lord, I'm right here. What do you want me to do? Lord, I, I see you. I'm right here. What do you want me to do? I mean, have you ever had a Christophany that put you on your knees? 
that I mean hit you so hard you were like, that's it. And I just have to get on my knees and I just got to recognize that God is in this place. God is in this room. God is in this space right here, right now. Because why would it be any different now? When we go to our knees, we recognize our place and our humility before a good and a great God. And when he decides to show up, we need to recognize that. And then the commander of the Lord's army says something you've heard before. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. So Joshua did as he was told. You know, Joshua also knew something else. That he could have spent the last four chapters, however long that was in real time, preparing for the military to, his military to be ready to go and invade, invade Jericho. But what he recognizes now is that he's not even going to get to the battlefield first. That not only is God's reputation going to get there before him, but God's whole army is going to get there before him. And I don't know if you remember the story of Jericho, but if you remember the story of Jericho, what does God say? Hey, you may not need to go with your spears and your arrows first. How about you go with your musicians? Because that's how we're going to fight this battle. That's how we're going to fight this war. Your musicians, we're going to sing at them. I don't know a general on the planet who's like, that sounds like a great idea. God says, you know what? I'm just going to have you take it a little walk. And I'm going to have you sing. And we're going to blow some trumpets. And eventually, all those walls are going to fall down. The spiritual preparation was important. And it's, the spiritual preparation is important for us when we finally recognize that the battle is not ours. The battle is God's battle. That's why we have to prepare spiritually, right? Because people of faith understand that God's going to get there first. People of faith understand that God is going to win this war, not me. I'm going to play my part. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. When I see Christ, I'm going to say, what would you have me do? That's what I'm going to do. So I don't need to worry about the preparations I make physically in the same way that everybody else has to because this battle is not mine. And by the way, I feel like God's army is going to be way more effective than anything I can put together. Because I think when angels show up, there's no fighting them. But the thing that gets me again is that when God showed up, the first thing he says is, okay, now all this, all this, it's all holy. This road you're on, this path you're taking, this car you're driving, this family you've been given, this home that you pay mortgage on, this grocery store that you've gone to, wherever this Christophany happens, that's holy ground now. Because God is there. And do you know that sometimes you are called to be holy ground for somebody else because they will only see Christ through you? You are walking, breathing, moving piece of God's holy ground. So where is it for you? How is God circumcising your heart to be prepared for the Christophany that he has for you? How is he rolling away that shame that we've carried for far too long? Where's your Gilgal? Sometimes, if not all the time, our spiritual preparation is going to be so much more important than our physical preparation. And we prep for everything in life. But I don't know if we prep for our spiritual encounter with God in the same way. In order for Israel to take Jericho, 
they had to be spiritually prepared, not militarily prepared. In order for us as people of faith who want to see Christ expressed in the culture, in order for us to invade the culture that we talk about being so corrupt, so bankrupt, it's not a physical preparation that we need. It's a spiritual preparation to be salt and light in the world, to be part of God's army as we walk into the world, not to destroy it, but to change it into the will of God. And they will only happen through the love and compassion that we're able to give as people who say we believe in a God that is full of grace, love, and compassion, overflowing. So what is the sign that God has given you that it's time to go? Joshua knew that the Lord was with him. Maybe a second question is better. And there's been a lot of questions, so we might be on our third, fourth, or 15th question of this sermon. How far are you willing to go for God? We say we're willing to go wherever, but we don't really live that way because we prepare ourselves too often exactly like the way the rest of the world prepares themselves for the battle that we think we have to do with one another. Maybe we put down that physical preparation and we begin to prepare spiritually for a different kind of engagement with the culture, a different kind of engagement with the world so that we can see the world change in our lifetimes and to become in a place that is a better expression of Jesus into a place when we recognize that the ground we all walk on is holy because that's where Jesus is because you're there. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Lord, I just want to thank you for preparing us physically for the circumcision of the heart that you have for us. And Lord, may, it, may we be vulnerable enough to walk through that process with you. And Lord, I appreciate the fact that you showed up right in front of Joshua, show up right in front of us so we know that the armies of the Lord go before us not to subdue and conquer, but to engage and invite the whole world to a better expression of you. May we be that expression starting here, now, today. In your name I pray, amen.